all fresh on us, that your word would be fresh and alive to us, that when our neighbors see us, they would see refreshing, a breath of fresh air. Not somebody that's down in the mouth about the garbage that's happening in the world and that focuses on that. But Father, give us the joy of Jesus in our hearts that we might be refreshing to those around us. As Onesimus was, let us be a breath of fresh air today, Father. Fall on us, give us your word, let your fresh be new, your word be new and fresh for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We're finally going to get to Acts. Last two weeks didn't seem like I was supposed to to get into Acts, and and then I was debating whether I should get into Acts before we leave for Florida. We'll be gone one Sunday, but um, Lord didn't give me anything else this week and said, go ahead with Acts, get in it. So we're heading into Acts. The book of Acts. Anybody have a favorite verse in the book of Acts? I've got two. I'll share one's behind me. Acts 16.31? Sounds right. Yeah, okay. And you and your household, yep. Anybody else? See, I like to, I like to kind of take the temperature in the room and see what you know about Acts and where we are. So hopefully, at the end, you know a whole lot more than you do today. Hopefully, but uh, but at the same time, as a Christian, hopefully you do know something about Acts. Any other verses? Favorite verses from Acts? Well, one of the verses, my my other favorite verse in Acts, and, and by the time we get done with the book, I'm. Penny? 1-8. Okay. Can you quote it or read it? Read Go ahead and read it. That's fine. Uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Just what we're talking about with OCC, with Operation Christmas Child. It's our responsibility to share the gospel. And we are empowered to do that by the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it on our own. I gotta stop there because I'm stealing my thunder. One of my favorite verses in Acts became my favorite verse when I was studying Thessalonians. Does that make any sense? Acts 17:2. Yeah, if you that's right. If you know anything about Acts, that does. It makes sense. Acts 17:2. Paul was in Thessalonica. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. He didn't use Wearsby's commentary or Strong's or MacArthur's or Calvin's or Luther or Swingley's. He used the Word of God. And he reasoned with them from the Word of God because that is truth. We know that that is truth, and what comes out of God's Word is truth. Count on it. Take it to the bank. 
All these other books that these write, a lot of them are very insightful. A lot of them are very smart, a lot smarter than me. I know some of you say that, that doesn't take much. Um, and, I, and I read them and I study them, and I'll tell you one thing I've learned uh, just in the past month in, in preparing for Acts. There's, I'm not going to name the, the author of the book. But it's a very intellectual book. And what it does, it, bring, it brings up is all the, what's the word, conflicts. That's probably the best word. That, that this theologian believes that this means this, but this one believes it means this, and this one believes it means this. And, and, but, but then he says, but I believe it means this. And it's like, oh man, you're, you're just arguing for the sake of arguing. One of the things we learned when we studied Timothy a couple years ago was not, not to be caught up in the, the silly talk, not to be caught up in the, into the intellectual, intellectual battles that go back and forth. Now, now, those guys are smart, and they've studied hard, and they've studied long, and, and they, they know languages better than I do. I get that. But it's, it's almost kind of disheartening. Is it because I have to read the chapters two or three times to, to, you know, to sort it out and figure out where they're going with it and why, why they think that and this. And, and that's good for me. It's challenging. It, it hopefully, you know, kills a few brain cells and makes a few more grow, you know. Um, but we just got to get down to what God's Word says and, and study and ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and to speak to our hearts. And, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit is mentioned more than 50 times in the book of Acts. And, and when, it, when it's talking about the Holy Spirit, it's one of, generally one of three categories. It's going to be talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, being fed, or excuse me, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and being led by the Holy Spirit. Kind of important aspect of the, the, the book of Acts. Who wrote the book of Acts? Who said Luke? Luke. Okay, is there another book that Luke wrote? Luke. <laughs> there you go. That was not a trick question. Now here's the trick question. Who wrote, by volume, the most, most of the New Testament? That's not a trick question, but I got you all. Luke. Luke wrote, volume-wise, now number of books, Paul wrote more, yes. But volume, how many chapters are in Luke? 24. How many chapters are in Acts? 28. And some of those chapters have like 72 verses in them. So volume-wise, Luke wrote most of the New Testament. Now tell me, Luke was a Gentile. Luke was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. The, I, I'm not going to. The deviousness in me wants to say, and who were the other two Gentile writers of books and scriptures of the New Testament? There weren't any, okay? Luke is, <laughs> Luke, Luke is the only one, the only Gentile that wrote any of the New Testament, and God saw fit to inspire him to write the biggest portion of the New Testament. Interesting. There's, there's two different ways you can name the book of Luke 
in Acts. Kind of like it's going to sound really funny, but we got First and Second Timothy, right? We we could call Luke First Luke and Acts Second Luke because the one goes right on into the other. We'll look at that in just a couple minutes. We see the ministry just just glide right in. Um, Luke. I'll stick with the biblical. What, what they're, they're not inspired, so we could say first Luke and second Luke. But um, Luke talks about the ministry and the work of Jesus Christ. When when uh, you know Christmas is just a couple of months away, and we always turn to Luke two for for the story of the birth of Jesus, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is is first Luke, second Luke or Acts is more the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Let's, let's turn to, to the beginning of Luke chapter 1. Well, that was the other name. We could call it the, Luke could be called the Acts of Jesus Christ, and Acts could be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I should have brought it with me. I didn't this morning. I, I had my... my it's, it's really narrow because the print is so tiny, but my, it was my favorite Bible sword Bible from, from the 70s, from VBS as a kid growing up. It was, for some reason, the pages didn't stick, and it was speedy, and I could, I could get to the verses quickly. But on a, I was looking at it a couple of weeks ago, and it's got the Acts of the Apostles, it is, as it has so often been called. And I've got the apostles just scribbled out like a like a nine or ten year old would do, you know, just nasty, ugly scribbling, scribbled out the apostles and wrote in the Holy Spirit, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, and that that was like I said, that was back in the seventies. That was a long time ago, but and I just thought it was kind of funny to see that and and to think that I was thinking that back then that I obviously heard a sermon on it or something. I'm, I'm sure I didn't just come up with that on my own. At the ripe old age of nine or ten years old, <laughs> but the acts. Oh, and, and another reason some would say the acts of the apostles. There's only two apostles that that it really talks about is Peter and Paul. So it's not the acts of all the apostles. Um, a brief, uh, a brief uh, outline. And we'll get into different outlines as we go through the book and break it down in more specific outlines, but just a very general outline, a very simple outline to remember for the book of Acts would be that the chapters 1 through 12 talk about Peter. And then if you break that down just a little bit, 1 through 7 is Peter's ministry to, the, to Israel, and 9 through 11 are, his, are the ministry to the Gentiles. Peter's ministry to the Gentiles. So you got 1 through 12 is, is basically about Peter. And of course, there's a lot of other stuff in there. It's just, you know, kind of a simple, big overview. Chapters 13 through 28 talk about the ministry of Paul, his three missionary trips. And who was, who was one of Paul's companions on most of his, most of his uh, trips, his, his missionary trips? Luke. Yeah. The guy we're talking about. He accompanied him, and, and if you look at Luke chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word 
have handed them down to us. Makes me think of 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. It seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you might know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Wow, that is just loaded. That is just loaded. So many things to pull out of there. Um, Luke didn't see most of the ministry of Christ. And so he's, he's depending, and in, in the book of Luke, he says that he got the, got the word from the eyewitnesses and those that were there, those that saw it happening. He was, he was a doctor. So doctors were used to very careful, you know, analysis and investigation, and they want to, you know, I don't know how thorough they were back then, but they want to know if you've traveled here or there, and you got this bug or that bug, and what diseases you might have been exposed to in that. Luke was an investigator. He, he wanted to get to the truth. He, he, the facts concerned him, and they were important to him. So he, he went to the eyewitnesses. He says, it was fitting that I, uh, as well, having investigated everything carefully, from the beginning, it wasn't haphazard. There was a purpose and intent to it. To write it out for you in consecutive order, chronologically. So, these things in, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke talk about the life of Christ. And he wanted to be very precise. Verse 4, so that you might know the exact truth about the things that have been taught. He didn't want to be in error. And I, and I pray that, I know it's my constant prayer when I'm preparing and studying and when I get up here is that I not ever teach anything from God's Word. That I, that I never make an error. And, and I, I'm sure I do because I'm human. But it's my, my goal and my intent and my purpose to be as precise as Luke was. To be in the Word. To, to preach the Word. Not my opinions or my views. Then there's the matter at the end of verse 3. He talks about, oh, most excellent Theophilus. Well, well, who is this guy? Where is he coming from? Theophilus, and the way he uses most excellent, turn with me quickly to Acts chapter 23. Acts chapter 23, verse 26. I'm going to slaughter this name, but forgive me. Claudius Lysias, to the most excellent governor Felix, greetings. Most excellent. Um, Across the page, 24, verse 3. We acknowledge this in every way and everywhere, most excellent Felix. Well, we know who Felix was. And, and the term most excellent had to do with a, a, a Roman authority, usually that had authority over a large area, a region of land. It wasn't a city, he wasn't a mayor, um, he wasn't the emperor, but he, but he had responsibility over a large area. And so we know who Felix was, and, and the, the Greek word that's used there um, re- refers to that being someone in authority. Um, there's another verse just over 20, chapter 26, verse 25. But Paul uh, said, I am not out of my mind most excellent Festus. So most excellent is a term that, that they use for respect for a Roman emperor, or excuse me, not the emperor, for a Roman authority. 
And here we see Luke using this in addressing Theophilus. Can anybody break down the, the word Theophilus, break it in half, and you get two words? Does anybody know what the roots are, what they mean? Theo, meaning God. Theophilus, Theophilus, um, Philadelphia, love, brotherly love. Okay, so there, there's some in, in that one intellectual book that, that think that perhaps he was just addressing this to Christians, to young Christians in Jerusalem and around. Um, others actually believe that it was some Roman authority. I'm not going to stand strong on either one because it could be either one. Um, but it means, if you, if you do kind of a direct translation, it's friend of God or one who loves God. One who loves God so that we know that this most excellent was a, a person of some authority and he was at least, we don't know if he was a Christian, we're never told if he was a born-again Christian, if he had a relationship with Christ. But he was at least a seeker of the truth. He was at least a seeker of the truth about Jesus. And so Luke is addressing him here. And if we turn to the first verse, first couple of verses of Acts. Luke says, the first account I composed, the Gospel of Luke. That, that, one's, a, that one's pretty easy. Theophilus. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So Luke is telling us what he wrote Acts about, or excuse me, what he wrote Luke about, that it was about Christ and the ministry of Christ, the works of Christ, what he did. But here, something's missing from the greeting. He doesn't use the term most excellent, Theophilus. He uses just Theophilus. And again, some of the, the, the wiser, more studied, believe that, and, and I, I see it very, very properly being part of that, that Theophilus had be, maybe perhaps become a Christian and had become a brother in Christ. He was no longer, not that he was disrespecting him, but, but he was not seeing him as the Roman authority figure as much as he was seeing him as a brother in Christ, a fellow believer who perhaps came to Christ through the letter of Luke that, that he wrote and had addressed to Theophilus. So just a, a little history, a little background there. If you go, if we go back to the very end of Luke, Luke chapter 24, and verse 49 through 53. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came about that while he was blessing them, he parted from them. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple praising God. Now flip to Acts 1. The very end of Luke right into Acts 1. 
The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To those he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking to the things concerning the kingdom of God. And gathering them together, he commanded them, and this sounds just like the, end, the last couple of verses of Luke. And gathering together, he commanded them not to leave the city, not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. Which, Jesus said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In other words, that power that you need, because don't do it in your own power. We know what happens when we try to do it in our own power. We fall flat on our face. Wait. Wait for it. When the power of the Holy Spirit comes, then go. Go and tell. Okay? The, the uh, book of Acts, we know is a book of history. And uh, if, if you want to know a little bit more, there's, there's information that you'll find in Acts that you won't find in the book of 1st, 2nd Thessalonians or Philippians or Colossians. There's background, there's information there that's really good, gives you a little more of the context and the understanding of what's going on. And that's what we're going to study over the next five or six years, however long it takes us to get through the book of Acts. You're laughing. It took us almost a year to get through Nehemiah, and that only had 13 chapters, so you know. Hey, we, we will go at the speed that the, the Lord directs. Acts is a, a, a transitional book from the Gospels to the Epistles. It's, it's the history, it's the, 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 the bridge filler that, that gets us from the ministry of Christ to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the Holy Spirit's work in and through the church. It's our mission and our responsibility to submit to God, our Heavenly Father, to God, the Son, Jesus Christ, and to God, the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit's ministry on earth here now that is to empower and to lead and guide and direct the church. We find Acts to be a a training manual or a textbook, if you will, on missionary principles, world evangelism, defending the faith or apologetics, the personal work, person and the work of the Holy Spirit, methods and themes of Christian preaching, and building Christian churches. Now, I expect you to take good notes over the next couple of years because at the end there will be a quiz and I'm going to ask you which chapters you know, fit which one of those five categories. Was this talking about the Holy Spirit or was this talking about building on? Who knows? Maybe I will. The important thing is that when we're done with Acts that we know more about it than we do today. And that we are more in love with God than we are today and that we are more submitted to the power of the Holy Spirit than we are today. Let's look at the first few verses of Acts chapter 1.
The first account I composed, Theophilus, about it all that Jesus began to do and teach. Jesus did for 30 years before he began to teach. Before he called his disciples. Yes, there were teaching moments. I know when he was 12, he was in the temple, and it wasn't like there wasn't any, but primarily his focus in his first 30 years of life on this earth as a human was to do, and then to teach. Something to be learned there. We need to be patient. We need to let our lives be a light. We need to let our lives be a testimony. We need to let our lives be a reflection of Jesus. And again, I, don't, I do not like so many, a lot of people like to use the quote from Augustine that said, I believe, no, maybe, it was, I think it was Augustine. If I'm wrong, I apologize. It talks about witness to your neighbor and if necessary, use words. I don't like that. That's a cop-out. That's a, that, 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 that lets me hide behind my faith. We need to be bold. We need to talk about Jesus. If you are a football fanatic, you don't have any problem talking about your favorite team. And a lot of, a lot of guys will even know the stats, how many yards the quarterback, how many yards the running back ran for, how many interceptions the safety has, how many wins the coach has. I mean, they can tell you just ridiculous statistics that they hide in their memory. Give me just a second. Every once in a while, I just lose, my, my mind just goes, boop. But the, 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 the people can hide those things and know them so well and have them in their, in their mind and just recall at a moment's notice. Can we do that? Can we do that? With God's word, can we do that with verses that we can just pull them back to recall? Where, where are you at in your spiritual life? Are, are you hiding God's word in your heart? And I, I'll be the first to admit, ashamedly, so that I don't spend as much time on memorization as I do. These days, it's mostly review of what I've memorized over the years. And I need, to, I need to get back to memorizing new scriptures and hiding them in my heart. And I do some as I'm studying, preparing for church, but I need to make a more conscious effort of it. But what do you get excited about? Fishing, fishing lures. How many fish? Where's your favorite lake? Hockey, hockey players. If you're into Marvel characters, you, you know all the Marvel movies and all the characters, and you probably got a collection of the little figures, action figures, or whatever they're called. What do you get excited about? Those are the things you talk about. Those are the things that are fun to talk about. Those are the things that are easy to talk about. Is it that easy to talk about God? 
to share. Don't, don't hide behind that, that thing. Well, I'm, I'm a living testimony of Christ. I don't need to be a speaking testimony. I'm a living testimony. People can see Christ in the way I live. That's good, but it's got to be more than that, folks. You need to go a lot deeper in your faith, and you need to be bold because people are dying without Jesus every day. Most of them, or a lot, I shouldn't say most, I don't know numbers, but a lot of them probably have never heard the gospel. They've probably encountered Christians in their lives, but the Christians are just living it and not speaking it. Do we get excited about what Jesus means to us? Um, Yeah. Verse 2. Okay, Um, his first book was about Jesus, what he did until the day when he was taken up after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Uh, There's there's a a period of time, and we see at the the end of verse 3, talks about his 40 days. But Jesus Christ was crucified for us. Jesus Christ rose again from the dead to have victory over Satan, to have victory over sin, and to stomp on Satan's head. Satan almost thought he had it in the bag. He was smart enough, though, to figure it out. He, he knows. He knows what his end is going to be in the end. But that time of between the resurrection and the ascension, that 40 days, the ministry that he had. He was taken up. Look at the, we see that in verse 2. That's where we're talking now. Verse 9 of chapter 1. After he had said these things, he was lifted up. While they were looking up on a cloud, received him out of their sight. Verse 11. The two men in white clothing stood beside him and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up for you into heaven will come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. Then same chapter, verse 22, chapter 1, 22, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us. One of these should become a witness for us of his resurrection. He was taken up from us. Where did he go? And what is he doing now? Turn with me, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. And I'm sorry, I'm not an energetic, bouncy preacher with, you know, charisma and all that, but this, this better elicit something out of you folks. Ephesians 1, 20, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Where is Christ today? At the right hand of God. Is he standing or is he seated? It says he's seated. Why is he seated? Because the work is done. Hallelujah! He did it. He did it for us. He died. Amen. Amen and amen. He died, was resurrected. And then he had his ministry on earth for 40 days. And then he was taken up. And when he was taken up, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. If you want to write down a couple more verses, Colossians 3.1. 
Luke 22, verse 69. If you want to keep it in, in Luke, in the, in the Luke sphere, shall we say. Luke twenty-two sixty-nine. He completed the work he was sent to do for you and me, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Don't get no gooder than that. The work is finished, and he did it for us. And Luke is talking about it here. First Timothy 2, 5 and 6 says, There is one God and one mediator between God, between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for us all. Again, he completed the work. Just like he told him to wait in Jerusalem. Wait! Because the Father's promise will be fulfilled. The Holy Spirit will come. But you go to the city and you wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then go. Because it's going to be in His power, in His way, just like the work on this building will be done. In His power, in His way, for His glory. That His name would be glorified, and that the nations around us, like Nehemiah said, would lose their confidence because they know our God is working for us. We are not doing it ourselves. It's to be done in His power. And Luke says here that, there, that, that Christ told them, wait. Wait for it. Wait in the city. Be patient. But the Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you the power to carry out the work that you're being given. Verse 3, To those He also presented Himself alive after His, su- his suffering by many convincing proofs again as as we looked at the beginning of Luke in the the investigative work that Luke did as a doctor and and his processes he he didn't just take willy nilly the the rumor on the street he got eyewitnesses and and I love this word and this is another one of those times that that I kind of like the word that's used in the King James better than, than in the New American Standard the convincing proofs but the King James says infallible proofs Infallible proofs. The definition of infallible is that it is incapable of being wrong. It is not possible for it to be wrong. Dependable, reliable, unfailing, foolproof, fail-safe, watertight. After his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days. He didn't just appear to two or three. You know, in in court, in in biblical times, if you had the witness of two or three, you didn't even need a jury. That was conviction right there, whatever it was. But here, there was over 500 people that saw Christ after His resurrection, before His ascension. What more do you need? You got, you got the truth right there. You got witnesses over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. That was, that was what he, his mission was in those 40 days. Was to again be pointing, even Christ in his resurrected body was pointing to the Father. 
concerning his kingdom, the kingdom of God, and what was to come in, in times to come. He presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing, infallible, full, dependable, and proofs. People, people want to say that there is no God. People want to say that Christ may have been a real person, but he was just a good teacher. There's too many witnesses to otherwise. There's too many witnesses. And today we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us, that he indwells us. He doesn't come and go. He indwells us. If we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is here. That's why we say the church is here. It's this, this, this is a building. It's not a church. We are the church. We are the temple. That's why when Christ died on the cross, the, the veil was rent in two, because now we have direct access to the Father. We don't have to go through another person, the high priest. We have direct access to the Father because of his work for us. Nothing that we have done. Kind of reminded me of, well, studying this week reminded me of Gideon last week. Started out with 32,000 men. God said, that's too many. You're going to think you did it. I want you to know that I did it for you. So we get it down to 10,000 men. And then they go down and lap the water and it kind of made me think of the OCC video too. I was thinking, oh, Gideon. <laughs> when he was, he was down, he, he, did, he never brought it to his mouth to drink, but he was kneeling down. He had his hand in the water. Got it down to 300. From 32,000, any of you that are afraid, go home. 22,000 left. Out of 10,000, only 300 of them lapped in a way that was good for a soldier to lap when he was... To be in a, in a, as we used to say, in a military area of operations. You're going to be in a war zone. You don't want to be laying on the ground with your face in the water. You need to be kneeling like this so that you're, you're scanning. 300. God says, you are going to know that I did this for you. You are not going to do it in your own power. You're not going to do it in your own strength. I am going to give you the victory. You remember what happened. And they took their light out from the pitchers and they smashed the pitchers and they blew the trumpets and held the torches up. The Midianites killed each other because God was causing them to be confused. So 300 was even more than they needed because God was fighting the battle for them in God's power. And that's what he's saying here. Wait for it. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Wait for my power to come upon you. Father, thank you for your word. Help us as we go through this week to draw on your power. That we might have the might and strength to be witnesses verbally to tell people of Jesus Christ. Time is short. We never know when we're going to die. Could be today. But we know as long as we're here, Father, you've got work for us to do, and we need to be talking.
We need to be living true. We need to we need to love our neighbors. We need to be good neighbors. We need to to reflect Jesus Christ. The world needs that today, Father. Just the simpleness of saying I love you. But Father, help us to do it in your strength, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for Luke. Thank you for the books of Luke and Acts. In the history of, of the life of Christ on earth and the history of the church that were given through his writings. Thank you for giving him these books, Father, and help us to lean on your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't forget.